Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today we're talking about something Caroline and I don't have any personal experience with directly, although we we have found ourselves accidentally being drawn to it. Yeah. Maternity clothes. Yeah, we were just talking about how we've both accidentally ended up in maternity sections. Me at Target, typically, because that's I'm, I don't typically wander into maternity stores. But yeah, I'll be in the maternity section at Target and be like, God, these dresses look so... Oh, okay. That's why they're so flowy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I usually end up at least once every time I'm browsing ASOS clicking on something that's really cute and flowy and then realizing, oh, that is a maternity top, Kristen. Well, that's the way of maternity clothes, though, is that we've we've gone from, you know, ages and ages of having maternity clothes be boxy in an attempt to hide the pregnant woman's body or bump. Uh, to now being like, yeah, pregnancy is just another phase of life. You might as well look cute for it. Do you remember? Well, obviously you don't remember what your mom wore when you were <laughs> pregnant with you. When I was pregnant with me? <laughs> yes. Do you, have you seen photos? <laughs> Are you aware of, I should say, perhaps through photographic evidence or retellings of what your mom wore when she was pregnant with you? Yeah, I I think I've only seen like one picture of pregnant Sally and she was wearing uh things that had big bows on them and big collars, multiple things. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a dress made out of bows. That's it. Uh, it's like uh, the prom dress in Pretty in Pink. Uh, horrifying. Um, uh, she also had those like boxy smock tops. And then she had like the dress version of the boxy smock top. So the top that just became a dress with bows. The classic princess die pregnant look. Yeah, basically. Yeah, her and like every other pregnant woman in the 80s. Yeah, the photo of my mom pregnant that I remember the most 
was from when she was pregnant with one of my older siblings because it was taken in the 70s. And she looks amazing, <laughs> by the way. Uh, and Nancy knows. Um, but she <laughs> was wearing this uh, very much like a shirt you would see a pregnant woman wearing today. It was a form-fitting T-shirt over her second trimester bump that just said baby with an arrow pointing down. <laughs> and then jeans. And... I remember her mentioning that at that time, the shirt was considered a little bit scandalous. Yeah. Yeah. From everything that you and I have read, Kristen, about maternity fashion, like that was just not a thing. I'm really surprised to hear that. So was your mom like she was a a hip lady? Well, I think one of the reasons why that photo does stand out to me is because growing up, she was always so conservative minded in how my sisters and I would Mm -hmm. dress. She was always, you know, very um, insistent on modesty. And of course, seeing that photo, she was completely clothed. So I didn't think of it as immodest, you know, but I guess maybe in the 70s, my mom was a bit wilder than I thought. Oh, Nancy. (laughs) Although I think that that T-shirt was kind of the extent of her wildness. But she was always one, though, who really loved her body in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways. She always took pride in the fact that she had great gams. And uh, a slender waist. I think that says a lot. I don't think Sally has traditionally been one to have a lot of body pride or body shape pride or or a positive body image. And so there you have it. The picture of mom and her big flowing Princess Diana maternity dress. I I don't think this picture, I don't think she was smiling. Well, and (laughs) think of the contrast, too, to tabloids today Mm -hmm. and just going to the beach today where you see pregnant women, fully pregnant women in bikinis. Yeah. That would have been unheard of probably back in our mom's pregnant days. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about how maternity wear came to be, because for a long time, it wasn't actually a thing. I mean, maternity clothes are a relatively new invention. Yeah. So what were women wearing before that? If, if maternity clothes are a relatively new invention, as we think of them today, were women just wandering around in blankets? Yes, basically. Or those dresses made of bows like your mom was wearing. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, this is coming from Lindsay Mannering, who uh, is a clothing expert who was writing over at HuffPo. Um, basically, early, 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 we're talking Middle Ages maternity wear, so to speak, just involved modifying clothes you already had or relying on lots and lots of flowing fabric. Yeah, so a seamstress or yourself might just let out your seams to give you a little more room. Or, I loved this, if you couldn't close your dress or your smock, whatever you were wearing at the time, just put an apron on it. Yeah. Aprons were the belly bands of the Middle Ages. Yeah, because pregnancy was just... A thing. It was fine. It's like, okay, well, you're going to have lots of children and you're going to be big and your clothes are going to have to grow with you. And if they can't, just (laughs) cover that little open space. Yeah, and it's not like you were probably out in public all the time being seen. So you just hang out wearing an apron. (laughs) Being like, all right, fine. 
Um, well, as we move into the Baroque period in the 17th century, we get the first maternity dress on record called the Adrian. It basically involved lots of fabric and folds that would grow with your belly, and women also would wear men's style coats with adjustable laces in the back. So it's all about just like wearing what you normally wear, but just making it looser. And then in the 18th century, everything is still very flowy. You have lots of fabric folds in it to accommodate that growing belly. But then we have the innovation of a bib for easier breastfeeding after that baby is born. Because as we have mentioned on Stuff Mom Never Told You, once you have your baby, that doesn't mean that your stomach magically shrinks back to its uh, prenatal size. That's right. And isn't this all also, if we're referring back to our uh, topless feminism and free the nipple episodes, isn't this also the era when like nips were, were cool? Yeah, well, cooler. Yeah, because they were you know more associated with with purity, mm-hmm. or in this case, more of that that maternal life force. Yeah. So so bibs were all the rage. Just just un unbutton your little top, and and baby's happy. Flop it open. Just, <laughs> I, the, there's something strange about the word flop to me. But anyway, and this is when it really starts to be divided by class. We see wealthier women shelling out money for custom made clothes and less well off women continuing to just alter the clothes they already had. And so during this time, wealthier women could wear dressing gowns at home, stay comfy. Uh, but outside, when they emerged from their homes, uh, they could wear this button-up jacket-style bodice that served to both hide the waistline, but also confirm, like, yes, as you can see from this very specific fashion, I am indeed pregnant, but just don't look at my tummy. I don't want to talk about it. And this is also when we do see that more cultural shift to a pregnant belly being improper, to be seen out in public when when that association between pregnancy and sex really starts to make a lot of prudish people nervous. Yeah, exactly. And so there was this idea that kind of continued for quite a while uh, that ugh, pregnant women, maybe you shouldn't go outside or if you have to go outside, can you please just cover it up? It's so gross. We don't want to think about you being pregnant. And this is something that continues For a long time, as we'll talk about, but by the turn of the 20th century, we do have, quote unquote, official maternity wear being invented. Lithuanian lingerie seamstress Elaine Bryant, that name should sound familiar, her real name was Lena Himmelstein Bryant. The Lane came about when the bank misspelled her name. Uh, She creates the first maternity wear because one of her customers was like, oh, I need to go outside, but I don't want to look inappropriate. Yeah, so we learned about this in Randy Hutter Epstein's book, Get Me Out, A History of Childbirth from the Garden of Eden to the Sperm Bank. Um, and Epstein talks about how when Bryant was a young widow and a new mom, she'd been sewing lingerie for new brides and expectant mothers out of her home to support herself. And so then she gets that request, like you mentioned, Caroline, from a client who wants something comfortable but appropriate for being pregnant in public. So she makes this accordion pleat dress and other women saw it and were like, I've got to have one of those things. 
Yeah, demand quickly grew. Epstein writes that uh, Bryant's stretch waist skirts offered a comfortable alternative to the corsets that some women wore well into pregnancy. The belly-pinching gear allowed pregnant women to get out of the home and walk about without showing. And this, of course, is blowing my mind. We've read about corsets being used in all sorts of facets of life and, and phases of life, but... But somehow I just keep forgetting that women were still wearing corsets during pregnancy to minimize the appearance of, like, just visibly being with child. Although it seems like they would not be wearing those corsets while they were at home. Was that something mostly reserved for when they left the house? Yeah, at home it was all about the dressing gown. And just to clarify, pregnancy corsets at the time would not have been tight-laced, but would be more comparable to things like medical corsets that provide back support today. Yeah, Yeah, so it it was a combo of maintaining that abdominal and back muscle support, while at the same time smoothing and minimizing the whole tummy issue. But... Doctors were super excited at the prospect of these maternity accordion pleat looser dresses because they were saying, oh, finally, stop crushing your fetuses with your uh, pregnancy corsets. This was also a time the doctors were claiming that well-fed women didn't get morning sickness. Keep in mind, this was pre-wafy flapper era. Um, Bryant's clothes worked really well for the thicker, curvier, more athletic woman. And this was a woman that Lena and her second husband, Albert Malzen, were really targeting with their clothes, with Lena's clothes. They had conducted their own survey of women's sizes and proportions through insurance company data and measuring more than 4,000 of her own customers. And she found that, quote unquote, women of ample figure made up more than half of the surveyed population. So here's her niche. She can make clothes for the woman who just doesn't want to try to suck it in or minimize the pregnancy. Yeah, and this is happening, too, in the era before the rise of ready-made consumer goods, too, which is notable to think about how she really was kicking a lot of this off. And we're going to come back to Lane Bryant and her advertising uh, later on in the show. Uh, But if we move now into the 1920s, think about that wafy flapper style. You did have lots of belts that could be adjusted during pregnancy, and it was a good thing that drop waist and slip dresses were in fashion. They were a lot more accommodating for those growing bellies. Yeah, we've got a picture here in front of us of this woman in the 1920s wearing a fantastic, it looks like a satiny, silky slip dress with the belt tied under her tummy, and she looks fantastic. And when you move into the 1930s, there's a whole question of how do we disguise, still disguising, pregnant bellies when fashion is calling for defined waists and high waistlines? Well, you get a cape, or you get a bolero jacket, or or here's the advent of giant bows and wrap dresses and coat dresses, anything that would allow you to still be that fashionable woman wearing structured fashion, um, but still, you know, minimizing your your tummy. That was the most mind boggling, you know, decade or two, even into the 40s to read about just like seeing these advertisements for maternity clothes with these women wearing, like you said, these waist defining 
garments that would have hidden buttons inside that you could let it out gradually as you know your your stomach got bigger um but you can't tell really at all in the ads that these women are even a hint of pregnant. I think yeah, I I I'm we're looking at an ad from the 30s showing these caped dresses and these wrap dresses and and they have big bows and big collars. And I would imagine that the models in these ads are not themselves pregnant. It's more of like early Pinterest, like aspirational images of like, are you concerned about getting larger when you're pregnant? Well, don't be. You can look like these women who aren't pregnant at all. Well, and I wonder if that has to do with lingering discomfort over seeing pregnant women in public, because in the 1930s, this is still the early days of advertising as well. And when we hit 1938, we're getting to the tipping point of most women starting to buy ready-made clothes. And along come three sisters from Dallas, Texas, Edna, <laughs> Elsie, and Louise Frankfurt, who create the page boy maternity line and not surprising because I wasn't pregnant in 1950. <laughs> I had never heard of uh, page boy clothes, although I wanted to ask my mom about this because mm-hmm. I have a feeling that Nance and Sally were probably familiar with uh, with page boy clothes. Um, but they really elevated this whole maternity wear concept. Yeah, so their key design was Elsie's patented skirt that fits snugly around the hips without hiking up in front. And they managed to achieve that because there was a quote-unquote window that allowed room for your tummy to expand and that came with panels that you could sew over that window once you gave birth and your stomach started to shrink back down. Now, of course, you're not walking around in some like Lady Gaga outfit with like a short crop top and your belly sticking out of some hole in your skirt. This, of course, came with those longer, boxier tops that would extend down over the stomach. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? (laughs) Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. 
Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. And as we learn from Kay Goldman's book, Dressing Modern Maternity, which is a history of the Frankfurt sisters and their page boy line, celebrity clients loved these clothes. I mean, you had women like Debbie Reynolds, Lucille Ball, and Judy Garland all sporting page boy designs during their pregnancies. Yeah, and Goldman points out that this is the first time that we really get Hollywood and celebrities and maternity wear sort of coming together in a pop culture moment. Finally, celebrities are like, oh, wait, I can still look fashionable and still wear what looks to be a slim fitting skirt. Great. I can still maintain my fashion. Yeah. And, and during this time, we are seeing more wrap dresses, which are still very commonly worn um, as maternity clothes. And also those boxy smock tops, which you mentioned. And my favorite, pant play suits. Yeah, literally, literally, that's what they were called. Little play suits. For grown women. Uh, Caroline, I can't say anything. As I am talking into this microphone, I'm a grown woman wearing overalls. <laughs> so... Well, but I, there's something that just bugs me about calling an outfit for an adult a play suit. Preceded by the singular pant. <laughs> Stacey London would be so proud. Um, but yeah, so this is the 40s. And let's describe, so the pant play suit is, is very much like she's got these really wide leg, uh, pants with a severe, uh, pleat down the front or fold down the front and a matching boxy button up shirt with a very smart collar. So she's, she's very sort of like rectangular shaped in, in all of this fashion. Um, but if we move into the 1950s, we see a continuation of those separates, the boxy, uh, pleated button down shirt, like you saw on I Love Lucy, which was, of course, the first show to feature a pregnant woman. Oh my God, mind blown. But I think they, right, they still couldn't use the word pregnant. They had to continue to use euphemisms. Exactly. The network, uh, said that it was too scandalous to describe Lucy as pregnant, but it was okay for them to refer to her as expecting. Ah, yes. So here we are in the 50s. You don't have to have a waistline like you did in the 30s. Uh, Sure, we guess you can be outside in your third trimester. So we have looser clothes, more of those separates, still have adjustable wraparound skirts and those pleated button downs. But when you move into the 60s, we start to see more slim fitting super fashionable chic options for pregnant women. We get fewer grow with you options. So there's more of a push to like, okay, I have to spend a lot of money on maternity wear as I grow. I, I'm, I'm no longer a medieval woman where I can just wear blanket dresses all the time. Throw on that apron. Yeah. I can't wear my expandable wrap dress from the thirties and forties. I have to continue buying more clothes as I get bigger. 
On the flip side, though, this is the same time period when those trendy tent dresses were in fashion, and those could definitely double as maternity wear because basically it's just like a crew neck and then armholes, and then it just like blossoms out. And hopping over the 70s to the 80s, when you do see a lot of women entering into the workforce, there is concurrently a big demand for professional maternity wear. Welcome back to the era of the big bows. Right. Uh, but women don't just want maternity brands. So this is when you see guest jeans creating a maternity line. A page boy stages a comeback with a personal shopping service, trendy styles. And I love this. This was not new in the 80s. This is something that they had been preaching for decades by now. But they were always emphasizing that pregnant women should show off their legs. Because while you can't completely erase the fact that a woman is pregnant, you can at least detract from it. <laughs> so show off them gams. Yeah, you might be bigger on the middle, but you've still got great legs. Which, reading that, not to keep coming back to my mother in this episode, but I do remember her saying something along those lines in terms of dressing for pregnancy, how it was an excuse to show her legs more than she normally would. Well, yeah, Goldman, Goldman says that it was Page Boy who pioneered, so to speak, this whole show off your legs idea that other maternity wear uh, designers were not focused on that, as we see with the pant play suit. Everything's very covered, very asexual, very rectangular. Meanwhile, Page Boy was like, eyes down here. Just look down, <laughs> way down here. Yeah. Um, and of course, though, we can't separate maternity fashion in the 80s from, you know, it being the 80s. You have lots of big sleeves, big bows, big ruffles, billowing fabric. Just Google, fair listeners, Princess Diana and her sister-in-law, Sarah Ferguson, both pregnant in the 80s. I mean, though that is some billowing. That's really the only word for it. And I was wondering whether that was just a product of the maternity style of the day, because Princess Di's maternity clothes, especially when she was pregnant with Prince William, were so maternity. I mean, massive tent-like clothes. And I wonder if it was that or if it was it all fueled over... Just the publicity surrounding her pregnancy, too, of how people were were on edge wondering when she would get pregnant. Would it be a boy? Would there be an heir? Well, there was an ad that I saw from this same time period, and it was of some, I think she was a soap opera star, and she's modeling the same kind of dress that Diana was photographed in. She's on the balcony with Prince Charles. She's wearing a smart hat at a jaunty angle. And she's wearing this billowy tent-like forest green dress. And in this ad, this this um, soap opera star is wearing the same kind of thing. It's just like a champagne color. So I think that that was just, I, I don't know, someone write in and correct us if we're off the mark here. But I think that was the just style. The fashion of the day, not needing to emphasize yeah, because pregnancy. It's, it's loose and roomy, so you're not constricting the stomach or the fetus, but it's also modest because you're not having any tight, constricted clothes that could show off the very shape of the bump. That's true. I mean, all of those dresses that she wears are high-necked mm-hmm. and come down to mid-calf or ankle. Yeah, pretty pretty modest, except for that, except for that ankle. 
Oof. Watch out. So when we get into the 1990s, designers have finally come around to pregnant women needing to go outside and move from time to time. And there was a huge innovation when Liz Lang introduces a highly successful fitted maternity line. Wait, what? I know, fitted. Oh my God. Here we are talking about like fancy tent dresses on princesses. Yards and yards of silk. <laughs> All the billows. And now we get Nike and Target asking Liz Lang to create lines for them. Like, oh, well, women. So I guess, I guess they're going to be outside and like walking and moving, maybe picking something up like at the grocery store. So we should perhaps continue this whole fitted trend. Yeah, I can imagine that while those tent dresses were super comfortable, so easy to get snagged on things. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You don't want to get caught in a in a billowy day. Going through a turnstile, like a subway turnstile in one of those. Oh yeah. I would be a mess. Stiff, I'd be late all the time. Stiff breeze. Like yeah. oh, who knows what'll happen. But the question is though, Caroline, why did it take until the nineteen nineties for us to start being more okay with pregnant women wearing fitted clothes. Well, people were generally skeeved out by by pregnancy, by the outward manifestation of swapping fluids, basically. Um, and of course, we need to kick off this conversation with another Lane Bryant anecdote, like uh, Kristen teased to earlier. So Lena and Albert, back, we're going back to the turn of the 20th century. They had tried to advertise her now popular maternity clothes in newspapers once they realized that there was such a demand out there. But no one would print the words maternity clothes. Finally, in 1911, they convinced the New York Herald to run a single small ad and Bryant sells out of her inventory the same day. Yeah, and she's like, okay, I think there's something to this maternity wear, and if you guys in the newspaper business are not going to take my ad money, I'm going to do this on my own. And so she starts her own mail-order catalog, because why not? Uh, she ends up expanding her business from pregnant women to then outfitting women with larger frames in general, and by 1917, her revenue was topping $1 million. And it seems like now we need to circle back and do an entire podcast on Lena slash Lane, because hers was the first company to mass produce clothes for those two markets. Talk about a fashion innovator. Yeah, I mean, here she is answering a need that just about every pregnant woman has to, oh, hey, go outside and not be viewed as gross and feel comfortable and feel good in my own skin, feel good in my own clothes. And it's just funny that, like, it seems like there were these cultural hangups on pregnancy and pregnant bodies and women's sexuality or lack thereof that were preventing I guess other people from cashing in on this and that wasn't going to stop Lena. She was like, no, people need this. I've been pregnant. I've had babies. Women need to have clothes. Well, and it wasn't always that way either. If we go pre 19th century, pregnancy was kind of just pregnancy. All right. You exchange some fluids. You're getting ready to reproduce again. What do you want? A whole closet full of maternity clothes or something? I mean, this was when, of course, as we talked about, you were wearing your clothes as you always did and would either let out those seams uh, as needed or (laughs) throw an apron over it. But as for the 19th century itself, these descriptions of quote unquote confinement might be 
a little exaggerated. I mean, women weren't just sitting in like a pregnancy hut for nine months awaiting the the baby to come. They still went about their lives. They did their chores. They were social as before. And especially, too, we have to consider the class implications. Mm -hmm. I mean, working class women would still be working. But this also gets to the distinction between women being personally self-conscious about their bodies and this more cultural imperative of confinement, of sheltering the public from pregnancy. Yeah, I mean, one woman who expressed a degree of self-consciousness was Sarah Churchill, who's the Duchess of Marlborough back in 1735. So she writes a letter to her granddaughter explaining her own pregnancy situation. And she says, I remember when I was within three months of my reckoning, I could never endure any bodice at all, but wore a warm waistcoat wrapped around me like a man's and tied my petticoats on top of it. And from that time, never went abroad, but with a long black scarf to hide me, I was so prodigious big. So it, what I like about that is here's someone in the 18th century, kind of early 18th century, who's saying the same thing that women now say of like, listen, it's not that it was so awful. It's just that like, I felt so big and I like none of my clothes fit like I wanted them to fit. I just had to wrap a scarf around me or like a men's style jacket around me to even have clothes to wear. And so, yeah, there were these cultural ideas that had been floating around for centuries about you know, women's sexuality being scary, the womb being the site of a sacred event versus a monstrosity, depending on how you viewed the body and bodily functions. But there was simply also the issue of like, I feel big. I feel tired. I feel really self-conscious because my body doesn't look like it used to. And I kind of just want to have a lie down. And then, though, you take that layer of self-consciousness, which is completely understandable, and you add some cultural pressure to it, and you get, by the mid-19th century, norms and doctor's orders dictating that visibly pregnant women, especially the ones who could afford it, because that's, you know, those were the ones probably having doctor's pay visits anyway, them staying inside. Again, they might be wearing some sort of maternity corset if they had to go outside for the back and abdominal support, uh, but also to minimize that appearance of pregnancy because it was considered a private matter. This was something that you and your husband did in the <laughs> privacy of your own drawing room That's right. if you were really wild. That's right. And and this is a different time from so, you know, looking back at like the 16th or 17th centuries when a woman's pregnancy was sort of her own thing, like a woman's pregnancy wasn't thought of as real until the quickening, so to speak, which is basically the woman feeling the, the baby move inside of her. Um now, as you're moving into the 19th and 20th centuries, suddenly you've got more medical intervention. The the baby and the pregnancy is more out there. So whereas it used to be a private mother only kind of situation that was hidden under those aprons. Now, more people have a say and an opinion in what's going on in your body. And even though they have a say and an opinion, they also don't want to even like be faced with it. Yes. If you look at novels and advice books of that time, they're not directly referring to pregnancy. It's all euphemisms, as was still the case when I Love Lucy was on the air. Yeah. And in terms of evolving style, once the 
course it comes off, as doctors from the 17th to the 20th centuries were advising women to do, uh, clothes get looser. Women, Pregnant women start to adapt and wear looser clothes. Laura Tropp, writing in A Womb with a View, America's Growing Public Interest in Pregnancy, writes that women in the 19th century had to be persuaded to wear loose clothing, not because they wanted to show off their bellies, but because they did not want to indicate in public that they were pregnant at all. And so then, I mean, 19th century, wearing those buttoned-up uh, bodices with their dresses forward to the early 20th century with Lane Bryant being like, oh, hey, here's like an accordion pleat looser dress. We start to see people being like, oh, I can kind of let it out. This is great. So what does the maternity fashion landscape look like today? We'll talk about that when we come right back from a quick break. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. <laughs> So what does the maternity fashion landscape look like today? Well, things were pretty healthy going into the 21st century. Uh, Trop notes that maternity fashion sales jumped 28% from 2000 to 2005. Yeah, and that really picks up where our timeline left off in the 90s. We were talking then about how fitted maternity wear was coming in and women were clamoring for stuff that wasn't just maternity specific brands that was like, hey, no, I, I'm just a woman who wants to continue wearing cool clothes, like make me awesome clothes. And they began to really want to acknowledge their pregnancies and their baby bumps and stay fashionable. It's like your mom, Kristen, with her T-shirt that, you know, it's pointing with an arrow to baby. A lot of that kind of stuff got really popular in the 90s and early 2000s. You've got more pregnant bodies on display more often, thanks to celebrity culture and the paparazzi and, you know, tabloid magazines featuring pregnant women. But also, 
women simply remaining at work longer and just being outside, not feeling like they have to be constrained by these old notions of hiding away when they're pregnant. You also get a lot of celebrity maternity clothing lines, people like Heidi Klum coming out with uh, big ticket items and then uh, more uh, affordable items for pregnant women. And along the same lines, you've got a lot of the fast fashion brands like Asos, Topshop, and Gap churning out maternity wear so that they don't lose their customers once they get pregnant. But maternity wear is still very much a socioeconomic issue because clearly moms with more disposable income can indulge in lots more maternity wear and custom or otherwise well-made maternity wear that might transition after baby, because that is something that we do see really starting in the 1960s that we mentioned, that no longer is it this skirt or dress that has the buttons that you can expand throughout your trimesters, but more of a profit-hungry model where it's like, oh, well, here's your first trimester wardrobe. Mm -hmm. Now here's your second trimester. Bye, 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 bye. Get all of these clothes. But... Now that we are in the teens, is that what you call them now? The aught teens? <laughs> um, most recently, the maternity wear trend has been no maternity wear. Yeah, so maternity specific stuff seems to be cycling out just in terms of fashion, not not in general, not all of it. Um, but Women's Wear Daily wrote about this uh, back in May 2013 and said that fewer department and specialty stores were offering maternity specific clothes. Why? Because you have more women shopping their closets and like they've done throughout history, ladies and gentlemen, adapting the clothes they already have. So one great example of this was Kate Middleton, who had such a public pregnancy and everyone's eyes were glued on her fashion choices during her pregnancy, too, because she notably wore very few actual maternity clothes. She wore a lot of the same kind of stuff that she was wearing beforehand. Um, and it was a similar pattern that we saw with other celebrities, and she might have a couple of maternity pieces that she would then just pair with non-maternity clothes. Yeah, and and the magazine also talked to uh, designer Georgina Chapman, who said that she sees a lot of her clients just buying a size or two up and then altering the clothes to fit, while others shell out bunches of money to have things custom-made. And, and I'm just thinking, like, oh, well, that must be nice, because not everybody can afford the whole, like, custom maternity wear thing. And Wait, what? <laughs> not everyone can afford that? <laughs> but who's your seamstress? But this, I mean, talking about hearkening back, this goes directly back to what we talked about near the top of the podcast when we mentioned uh, women in the mid-19th century the upper class women wearing the custom made button up fitted bodice to indicate, yes, I'm pregnant. Yes, this is kind of maternity wear, but don't look at me. My my bumps being hidden versus the less well off women who were still just adapting their regular wardrobe. Which is more the fashion today. I mean, this is coming from a fashion director at Bloomingdale's who said they stopped carrying maternity wear. Because women, again, are, are still shopping kind of their own closets and also just shopping regular Bloomingdale's and buying things like wrap dresses, leggings, long T-shirts, structured blazers, and just wearing their husband or boyfriend's jeans. Adorable. 
Which, I mean, I'm like, that. I think I have a maternity wardrobe right now. <laughs> Perfect. Your, your overalls will fit perfectly in with that. That's true. <laughs> I'm planning for some future. I don't know whose. Thanksgiving. Maybe it's mine. <laughs> um, they also cite Harrods, which has a couple of maternity brands, specific brands that have done really well. But they were mostly stocking just pregnancy-appropriate non-maternity wear. Harrods also was offering a service where you can get your designer jeans customized with your own belly band. So still just lots and lots of expensive custom stuff. And this reflects changes in fashion, but also two changes in how we are approaching pregnancy. Um, the whole eating for two model has fallen by the wayside. Exercise is not as off limits as it used to be. Um, and pregnancy is seen more as another phase of life. Yeah. And so it makes sense that so much of your image that you project to the world while you're pregnant has a lot to do with your identity, whether it's maintaining it or forming a new one. Uh, Georgina Chapman, the designer we cited, said, I think it's important to stay true to your personal style, even while your body is changing. And this is this is a, an attitude that you hear a lot nowadays, especially in any sort of maternity wear article. It's fashion is all about identity these days and pregnancy wear is no different. And styles today really do reflect that attitude of pregnancy being just another normal phase of a woman's life. And this is something that that author Randy Hutter Epstein wrote about in her book. She said, you can go on being yourself, which includes maintaining your fashion sense, whatever it is, while you have your baby. It doesn't mean striving to fit into skinny jeans for six months, but maintaining your identity. As we all know, she says, fashion is a way to express your identity and sense of self. And that is something that research on how pregnant women dress themselves and feel about their maternity wardrobe uh, reflect. So there was a study from 2014 in the journal Clothing and Textiles Research uh, that emphasized how for a lot of women today, it's not about camouflage. It's trying to match that inward self and style with your outward pregnant self. Um, and the researchers interviewed women in their second and third trimesters about their body shape and satisfaction. And they found that women wore maternity clothes mainly for comfort and assurance. Not surprisingly, it wasn't a thing of trying to pretend that they weren't pregnant. It was just like, no, I don't really want to feel comfortable in my clothes. Yeah. And the authors wrote that pregnant women are likely to be satisfied with their pregnant body and their body image is a determinant of how they end up managing their physical appearance and self presentation. So, how does maternity wear shape self-image and identity during pregnancy? This is a question that uh, researchers in the Journal of Consumer Culture looked at in 2013. They studied consumption among women who were in that transitional phase of pregnancy and looked at their experiences of bodily control changing and affecting identity. And they found that three themes emerged. One of those was that maternity clothes, both the buying and the wearing, disrupt the woman I am most of the time identity or narrative that wearing these clothes basically changes women's usual way of how they satisfactorily express who they are through their clothes. 
And there were three layers to that that kind of disrupted that woman I am most of the time identity. And it was thriftiness. The image of what pregnancy looks like because of the clothes that you're wearing or having to wear, and also your body shape, which you don't really have a ton of control over during that time. And that led to a lot of frustration and ambivalence for a lot of these women. And that thriftiness angle jumped out to me because it seemed to capture more of a real world uh, experience of maternity clothes versus the Bloomingdale's fashion director who is dealing you know, with women who can just go and buy some J-brand leggings and call it a day. Um, but in these interviews, they were talking to women who didn't have a lot of money to go and, and buy a lot of new clothes for themselves and would get maternity hand-me-downs from family members or friends and sometimes just felt stuck wearing the clothes that they were given the only things that they could really afford. And there was one woman they were talking to who was saying that there was some orange floral dress that she had been given and she wore it out one day and it just made her feel awful because it was nothing she would ever pick out for herself. But it's not like she could go and have some kind of, you know, maternity magical makeover Hmm. either. And I could, I could totally, I mean, I can't directly relate to it, but I can understand how it's layers of feeling out of control of, the image you're presenting to the world and also to having your brain flooded with pregnancy hormones while this is going on. Yeah. And so that ties into that other layer that you were talking about of how the image of what pregnancy looks like has changed thanks to seeing a lot of celebrities because on the one hand, oh, well, I have more options now. I, I don't have to hide my bump. I can dress it and and not be afraid of being cute or sexy or really feminine or whatever. Um, but on the other hand, like, oh, God, I have to look cute or sexy or super feminine. Like there's there's a lot of pressures from both sides when it comes to like, oh, fashion during pregnancy is like a big thing now. I really have to focus on it and spend money on it. Just like getting dressed every day for a lot of women. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so another thing that the researchers found in terms of maternity wear is that buying and wearing these clothes affirms the identity of pregnant and expectant mother. And this is something we heard about from listeners after our baby weight loss race episode. It's the idea that uh, once women start showing, they can finally... And and they've told people that they're pregnant. They can finally confirm through their clothes that, yes, I am pregnant. This is not just a burrito. Uh, And it's related to those fears of being perceived as fat and out of control. That, no, I'm embracing the bump. I'm really pregnant. Please don't think I'm ugly and fat and out of control of my body. So it's and we did have uh, at least a couple listeners write in. And say, like, I was so relieved to finally confirm my pregnancy and wear maternity clothes so people weren't looking at me like I was just a tired slob. Oh, that says so much about our culture. Oh, yeah. There is even a pressure valve that can be released in this regard. Um, And then finally, we have the women who use pregnancy fashion to maintain their woman I am most of the time identity. And these are women who exert effort to present a consistent image and sense of self, whether that's fashion, sex appeal, 
or youth. And for this group of women, they were more of the, the old school de-emphasizing the pregnancy. Hey, look at my legs instead mm-hmm. uh, line of thinking. Yeah, they were ex- experiencing all these mixed feelings about so many things changing. Your body's changing. Your relationship with your partner's probably about to change. Your freedom and like what you do with your time is changing. And so they're buying clothes that are like, oh, well, this is this is purely a continuation. I wore leggings before or I wore stretchy jeans before. I'm just going to continue doing this. Or I wore all black before. I'm going to keep doing that. And this was particularly important when it came to the professional arena. Not surprisingly, uh, a lot of women that were interviewed in the study were trying to counteract people noticing the belly before they noticed anything else and just staring at it in meetings. And one woman said, which totally harkens back to history. Being pregnant is like the adult hickey. It's the ultimate stamp of we've been having sex. And it's funny that that's the case because to me, pregnancy is not the ultimate stamp of we've been having sex, but rather, oh, someone went off birth control. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, I guess, oh, so millennial of me. But it's not like, as far as we've come in terms of our acceptance of pregnancy in public, of celebrities being proud of their baby bump, of non-celebrities being proud of their baby bumps, that we live now in a society where women aren't still judged for their maternity fashion choices. If anything, it's there's even more pressure, or at least more opportunity for people to express their displeasure at what you're you're wearing via social media. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say, are you talking about the internet? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we saw uh, back in April of 2015, Canadian meteorologist Christy Gordon receiving hate mail for wearing a form-fitting dress while pregnant. People wrote in to tell her mainly the following three things. One, stop showing off, which are you kidding me? Uh, two, buy decent clothes, and three. Have respect for your unborn child. Oh, Caroline, these stories of local newscasters and meteorologists being almost pregnancy shamed uh, for, you know, appearing pregnant and dressed with clothes on on camera uh, pop up. Like every six weeks, it's constant. It's crazy making um, because in a in a society that is so pronatal and so pro family, I I don't understand the the yelling at at women for just being out of the house in public while pregnant. I mean, this is something, this is the contradictory message that goes back to the frickin' 17th century when it's like, we want women to be fruitful and reproduce and carry a child in their womb, but the womb is a site of disease and dirtiness and filth and possible like monstrous reproductions of whatever superstition they had. And now we see we're in the 21st century and people are still like, you are a woman, so you need to go home and have a baby. But we're yelling at women who are having babies just while being out in public. Yeah, this all reflects that fine line that that maternal public presentation uh, presents that we talked about a lot in our celebrity baby bump uh, two-parter earlier this year in people simultaneously wanting you to stay a pretty lady, but also stay modest. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's there's just very little room to deviate from what the so-called appropriate 
maternity look is. Because on the one hand, you do have tabloids praising celebrities who are very fit and they're very pregnant and they're in bikinis. But then on the other hand, you have, you know, Joe Schmo emailing meteorologist Christy Gordon and calling her a whale who's showing off. Showing off what? I'm not entirely sure. But there definitely does not seem to be any kind of consensus on what is okay for women to look like across the board. Yeah, because everybody has an opinion. Everyone does have an opinion. I mean, if anything, I personally... Uh, speaking of opinions, I got a little opinion. <laughs> I think that it's, it's great that women have more freedom and flexibility than ever before to shop their own closets and have their personal style still reflected throughout their pregnancy um, if they also have the financial resources to do that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not a one-size-fits-all issue, Caroline. Oh, No, and it seems like over the course of of the history that we've just covered, it's been nothing but a push and pull between that, like, modest mother who stays at home and is nurturing an asexual and, like, the the expectation, like you said, of, of still remaining pretty and sexy and feminine with your choice of clothes. Because you would think that for that nine-month window, pregnant people could get a break. But that no. is not the case. No, we're still we're still looking at uh, pregnancy as a time when it's okay to tell people what to do with their bodies. And, and I'm also really curious to hear from listeners who have been pregnant and and had to do the whole "What am I going to wear for my maternity look?" thing about the 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 experience of dressing yourself because anecdotally I know that looking cute on the outside as a pregnant person isn't necessarily what it feels like on the inside that you might be wearing a really cute outfit but still feel detached from your body and from your non-pregnant sense of style. Yeah, it doesn't help that you've got like the entire world looking at you and forming opinions on you based on what you look. Well, and your body just feeling different than it ever has before. Yeah. Thanks a lot, baby. (laughs) So with that, though, so curious to hear everyone's thoughts and experiences with this. MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com is the place you can send all your maternity wear letters. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. I have a letter here from Laura about our anthropology episodes. She says, I'm a student at Columbia University studying biological anthropology. I've found that discussions of anthropology often do not include biological anthropology in their discussions, in part, I think, because it has a very different feel to it compared to cultural or historical anthropology and even archaeology. Columbia University takes a lot of pride in its famous cultural anthropologist, particularly Margaret Mead herself, so I'm unsure if this distinct separation of biological anthropology from the others is a result of Columbia's own bent or also from this tonal difference. However, biological anthropology is filled with its own well-known women, including paleoanthropologist Mary Leakey, famed primatologist Jane Goodall and Diane Fossey, and even the hominid fossil Lucy. 
My major does consist mostly of women, but also I've noticed that there are quite a few gay men as well. In fact, a friend of mine often jokes that there's no one in my major who isn't attracted to men. Gay men may be attracted to anthropology because there isn't a lot of masculine posturing and because the feminist aspects of anthropology also touch upon queerness across cultures and history. Love the podcast. It's definitely kept me sane on my long commute and during my busy work this summer, and I always jump at the chance to listen to your new episodes. Well, thank you, Laura. We're glad to have you. And I have a feminist anthropology letter to read from Jennifer, who writes, I love your podcast, and I was so excited for the anthropology podcast. I was especially pleased that you brought up Annette Wiener's research on the Trobrianders, the importance of women and women's soft wealth, the yam gardens and banana leaf skirts, in what is considered a patriarchal society was one of my favorite things I studied in anthropology classes. I had to laugh, though, because of the joking you were doing about it all being tied to menstruation because the importance of women and their matrilineal lines in the Trobriand culture is tied to that lovely crimson wave. According to their cultural beliefs, women become pregnant when the spirit of her ancestors enters her and mixes with her menstrual blood. Men merely help open the pathway into her. So see, it does all come back to the same thing. Thanks for the excellent podcasting. And thank you, Jennifer, for that insight. And thank you, everyone who's written into us. MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, including this one with links to all of our sources so you can learn more about the history of maternity wear, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. On this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee, sounds perfect. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, Run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.